Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Everything Kratom, the podcast about anything and everything Kratom. Great to have you with us here on this, our final episode of season four. Woo! Congratulations, everyone. Thanks so much for being here with me along for the ride. This has been great. Can't believe we're already at the end of season four. I keep on saying that with each season. Um, It's pretty wild. I mean, that means this is our 200th episode. Wow. So, good for us. Okay, so to mark the end of this, we're going to be covering the final of a four-part series of articles that have been focusing, it's in Courthouse News, and it's been focusing on the negative aspects of Kratom. It's been looking at, like, you know, a bunch of different case studies of people dying supposedly from Kratom overdoses uh, or Kratom-related deaths. And then um, this final article, taking a look at the leadership behind the Kratom movement and, you know, calling into question, are they representing the proponents of Kratom's best interests? And I think, you know, this four-part series has got me thinking a lot about Kratom. I consider myself a Kratom proponent. However, as I always say on this show, and I won't bore you, but I'll just sum it up here, I don't have an agenda. I really don't care. Like, Kratom helps me a lot. If I found out that it was really deadly, I'd stop doing it. Like, and I would tell everyone else to stop doing it. This would become the first you know, specifically devoted anti-Kratom podcast, you know, (laughs) like I have no agenda. I really don't care. But from the evidence I've seen, I'm not really worried about Kratom so far, or at least not unaltered Kratom, right? I think that the two things that I've become wary of are altered Kratom, specifically the levels of the alkaloids, and then also uh, concentrates, like the, the concentrated shots of Kratom, stuff like that. I've become a lot more wary of. But with that in mind, you know, these articles have helped me think about this with a more more well-rounded perspective, I'll I'll say that. And I think that although I don't really think most of the case studies that they've brought up here hold their weight when you really look into them, there have been a few that I definitely want to look into more because um, it seems like Kratom may have played a role in people's deaths. Also, I always want to state when we're talking about people who've died, when their families say it was from Kratom or their lawyers or their friends or whatever, um, the first reaction should always be condolences and feeling so sorry for that family that this person has passed away and not jumping on them on Twitter or anything and saying, you're a terrible person for saying that Kratom killed your son, for instance, or your daughter. Like, of course it didn't. And I need to see the toxicology report. Like, Come on, you know, give them some time and and treat them with respect. When the time comes, however that may be, I think that as we've found, more information comes out about these deaths, it ends up being not so simple as just, oh, they just had Kratom and then they dropped dead 15 minutes later. So it, it's very, like, I don't think I've seen any cases like that. Um, I did find that one case that seemingly 
has no other drugs involved in Colorado from many years back, um, but there was no residual blood to run a toxicology report. So um, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about such low numbers, it's absurd. And, and that has to be taken into account too. With that said, this has definitely made me a little more cautious. I think that's good. This final article is my favorite. I think the others are all right, give or take. But this final article, this has totally changed my perspective on the leadership behind the Kratom movement, not Kratom itself as much. So today we're going to look at that, and let's let's do that now. You can find the link to this final article in Courthouse News, along with all the others of the four-part series, in the description of this podcast. This is actually a video episode, just to celebrate the uh, the 50th episode of the fourth season here but if you're on a platform where you're not watching the video that's fine i'll cover this kind of like any other article just kind of point out some highlights let you check it out if you want more in-depth stuff but you don't have to be watching so with all that in mind let's do this season four wrapping up oh my goodness okay so the title of this article is called the law and the prophets inside kratom's political underbelly and then it says in the final part of our series on the botanical supplement Kratom, the lobbyist who made a senator 50, nearly 50 years ago keeps cashing in, even as Kratom fatalities mount. Um, it starts off with two different potential Kratom-related deaths or Kratom-caused overdoses. And the first one, I'm very skeptical about. The second one, I'm intrigued by. Okay? Just to go to show that I'm not, like, biased here. Like, I'm, I'm just looking at it at face value. The first one they mention, um, again, I'm going to touch on these very briefly and then jump into the main body of the article, which is primarily about the leadership. The first case is this person who is 38 years old. They're a diabetic. It says they wore a leg brace from a recent foot surgery, and, and they were found dead. Uh, they had blood in their mouth from biting their tongue. The coroner determined his blood metragenine level to be 2,500 nanograms per milliliter. Though he had abused opioids years before, he had no other drugs in his system except prescription anti-anxiety medication and some Benadryl. He died from a Kratom overdose, or of a Kratom overdose. So this one I'm skeptical about. It's not that I don't believe that Kratom may have played a role, but... You have a 38-year-old diabetic, just had a foot surgery. There's blood in his mouth from biting his tongue. There's quite a bit of kratom in his body. He has a history of abusing opioids. He has anti-anxiety medication and Benadryl in his body currently at the time of death. We don't know if it's more than one anti-anxiety prescription or just, or just one. It doesn't mention. There's a lot of factors there. I really don't know. I'm not the sort of person to say like, well, there's so much going on, there's no way to tell. Like, that's not what I mean. I mean, if there's like five drugs, like fentanyl, cocaine, you know, opium, like if it's like that, and then there's two others and then Kratom, then I'm willing to say like, that's just, there's too much going on there. No way. No way are you going to blame Kratom. This isn't like that, but there is a little too much going on here for me to just accept that this is a Kratom overdose at face value. Now... To prove I'm not biased. The other case that they mention a couple paragraphs down is someone similarly aged, 39, went to sleep in their favorite chair while watching TV after consuming a large dose of Mang Da mixed with, <clears throat> excuse me, mixed with orange juice, as was his habit. Now, to prove that I'm not biased, you go down a couple paragraphs. The other case I'm more interested in, similarly aged person, 39 years old, 
went to sleep in their favorite chair while watching TV after consuming a large dose of Mang Da mixed with orange juice. This person had chronic back pain, so they were used to doing this. This is like a habit of theirs. And uh, their wife came downstairs the next morning. He was still in his chair, found dead. He had a lot less kratom in his body compared to the first person. 770 nanograms per milliliter of blood. Um, no other drugs in his system, according to his lawyers. So I think that this one I'm a lot more interested in. Um, I would really wonder if there were no other drugs in this. I mean, that certainly seems somewhat straightforward, right? Um, again, being respectful to the family, I wouldn't say right away, like this was in 2019. So I wouldn't say in 2019, I want to see the toxicology report right away. Given that it's been three years, maybe right around now, I would be interested to learn a little more about this case. Um, it says their family lawyers say that there's nothing else in his blood. Um, I would certainly believe their lawyers, except their lawyers. So I would want to see an actual toxicology report. That said, this one piques my interest. So it's like there's one, there's an example of one case where it's like too much going on for me to just accept it right off the bat. And one case where it's like, okay, you've got my attention, right? So, okay. With all that said, that's not really the main part of this article. Now you go down, there's a lot of other information kind of queuing up to the leadership aspect, um, a bit about FDA seizures, uh, and then it introduces Macado, and that is where it really gets going. So I'm going to you should definitely read the article yourself, but I'm going to go down to the main crux here, which is about Macado and company. It says he managed Utah Senator Orrin Hatch's 1976 campaign. And Orrin Hatch was a political newcomer at that time. He was facing off against a three-term Democratic incumbent, Frank Moss, and he won the seat to the Senate. He ended up being in the Senate for 42 years and retired in 2018. That launched his career. It also launched Mac Haddow's political career. I did not know this. Haddow served in the Utah legislature. He also worked on Reagan's 1980 presidential run. Um, he took a high-level staff job under Health and Human Services Secretary Margaret Heckler. Then he ran into some trouble. It says that he founded this nonprofit called T Bear Foundation while he was under that role, and it aimed to encourage hand washing in pediatric hospitals. He pushed someone aside in that role, staffed the charity with cronies. This is all quote unquote wrangled $300,000 in federal funds and hit up big pharmaceutical companies for donations while selling teddy bears for a profit. He was indicted. Isn't this like juicy stuff? So he was indicted. Um, he actually pled guilty to illegally funneling over $55,000 to him and his wife, uh, who supposedly took more than $20,000 of it to write speeches for uh, the secretary heckler. And they lied about it on ethics forms. He ended up having to go to jail. He was, I think he got a one-year sentence. He ended up just going for like three months. Then he got out. So um, that's that's the start of the juicy details. It does say, you know, uh, to represent him as well in his defense, he said, I pled guilty to a 10-day delay from when my wife was paid to when the document, the ethics form he's talking about, was signed. So he's saying that the ethics form was lost or just was forgotten about temporarily. I don't know, but that's his defense. So he was there for three months in jail. Then he got out. 1994, 
uh, he kept working with Hatch, and he got a bunch of other staffers along with him to help write and pass the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act. And essentially, this was, from my understanding of it, something that changed how the FDA regulates new supplements and drugs, um, over-the-counter, that is. It made it so that any company that's creating a new supplement can start selling that supplement soon after creating it without really having the proof of it being safe. So essentially, he helped create this law that was enacted that said, if you create a product and you want to sell it, you have to tell the FDA that it's safe. You don't have to produce any evidence that it's safe. And then if the FDA doesn't do anything for 75 days, you can start selling it everywhere. (laughs) It kind of seems interesting. This is like really interesting to me, actually, because it's like this is not something I would assume he'd be behind. Just the way that he has a public face about science and safety and everything. He helped create the law that goes around the FDA. Um, Now, again, his viewpoint on this, he said it allowed the manufacturers to be innovative. So this is kind of, you know, I'm not getting into politics here and I'm not saying it's inherently wrong. Okay, I want to be clear about that. Um, It seems like this is more of like the conservative viewpoint of less hands-on government, right, to allow innovation and growth, etc., which seems to be his mindset. And that's, you know, totally fine. But it definitely put him against the FDA uh, a while back. And it also has been a controversial bill to many people. So I'll leave it there. Um, Now, moving further into the article, it also talks about Susan Ash, who founded the AKA. If you haven't listened to it, check out Kratom Science's uh, recent interview with Susan Ash. It is a must-listen, and Kratom Science did a great job. Um, I learned a whole lot from, from that episode, so you should definitely check it out. In summary, from this article, it says that she founded the AKA. She was only taking a $12,000 stipend as the founder and chair, and she brought on Mac Haddow, hearing about him through a friend. And Haddow brought along his friend, Peter Canland, uh, who ended up, uh, you know, taking the head of the organization for a little while until recently. But um, basically, they got their way into the organization. And then according to Susan Ash, they wanted a lot more money than she thought made sense. They ended up having an annual compensation that was like multiple times bigger than her $12,000 stipend being the founder and head of the organization. And then the board pushed her out a year later. So there's a lot going on there, right? Um, They ended up from 2017 to 19, the AKA paid Peter Canlin $340,000. That's a lot of money, you guys. Like, for this kind of an organization, uh, I don't know. And according to the things that he was doing, it was mainly administrative tasks. So, he just left in December 2021. So much stuff going on here. Now, getting even more into it. According to the AKA's tax returns from 2017 to 2020... Uh, Mac and John Haddo, their lobby shop, got paid no less than $776,000. Penny Associates, which does a lot of the Kratom Science research and presents their findings at a lot of um, uh, you know places where they're doing testimonies and states considering uh, 
KCPAs or just laws against Kratom or for it. They got paid around $152,000 in 2017 to 2018 to produce this research. So there's a lot about money. There's a lot about leadership, control, and hustle. It seems like Mac Haddow is kind of pulling the strings, though. It seems like from all these changes, from where the money goes, all things lead back to Mac Haddow. He has some sort of connection to pretty much every law firm, every company, every nonprofit, every consulting gig, every person brought on in a leadership role, he has some sort of friendly connection with. That, to me, is a warning sign. It's kind of a red flag. Because you're not supposed to just like bring people in who you know and are friends with and pay people who you know and are friends with, and that's how everything operates. Like, that's just inherently, you know... It doesn't seem quite right to me. So there's a lot more information about this I'm not going to go into here because it would be a long episode. But essentially what I'm saying is this: the latter half of this article is well worth the read. There's a lot of interesting history around Mac Haddow and the people that he works with. Um, it seems like Basically, I'm coming away from this thinking that I'm not quite comfortable with Mac Haddow having so much power. Um, I don't know anything personally about him, like on a personal level. But if this stuff is true, uh, th- this is corruption, I think. And I think that the reason why that's important to me is because I care about the Kratom movement. Like, being a proponent of Kratom, I want what's best for the Kratom community. If somebody is leading the American Kratom Association, the lobbying arm of the Kratom movement, the organization representing the Kratom movement in most public-facing ways, um, and it's supposed to be like the most professional, you know, in a way, um, it worries me that somebody would have so much controversy, not just in their past, but in their present. The amount of money that's changing hands and the amount of friends and consulting companies and things that he is connected to and receives money through, that it it takes away from the Kratom community and it takes away from the whole meaning of it all. For me, I don't want someone considering a Kratom Consumer Protection Act or considering Kratom legislation to look at the organization, the AKA, and think that that's the Kratom movement. And I didn't want that before. But knowing that there's all this controversy now, it really makes me wonder, is there another way? Because I understand that like, to to make change in Washington, let's just say in in a general sense, you need to hustle and you need to play dirty sometimes or whatever you want to say. I'd like to believe that's not true, but I think more and more every day that that kind of is how things get done. But this is a whole nother level of dirty. If, if I mean, somebody's just making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year um, and and they're, they're, they're finding different ways of making more and more money and getting their friends rich, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. And I think that it, it takes away from the whole meaning of the Kratom movement. And I want us to be represented by someone who represents our interests. Um, who wouldn't? So overall, this article has made me very skeptical of Kratom leadership within the AKA. Um, And 
Although the science from Penny Associates might be connected to Mac Haddow, looking at it, I still think that by and large it's okay. Um, I think that there are some biased studies through their research, but uh, I have also found that their findings are fairly consistent with a lot of other findings from different places that are not connected, even from different countries. Um, so, so I guess the wrap-up would be from this four-part series and even looking at the larger picture, I would say it's this. Let me get a sip of tea first. That's better. I would say it's this. Kratom seems to me to be fairly safe when taken correctly. Uh, Not taking many, many shots of it in a concentrated form, not taking Kratom that hasn't been manufactured in a good way, like in a proper standard sanitized process and um, not altered not having an alkaloid profile that's been altered specifically 7-hydroxymetragene being above 2% so with all those in place I think Kratom's pretty safe I think that there are some cases that need to be looked into a lot more and the people who think that Kratom caused those deaths should want it to be looked into a lot more because we should understand how the person died because it seems to me that I don't see in any of these places, you know, respiratory depression from Kratom being the cause of death. It's like it just mentions that Kratom was in their system and they died. It's like, okay, well, let's see how it happened. If Kratom caused it, how did it happen? Because so far, it seems like there's a ceiling to the amount of respiratory depression, which is quite high. uh, But also there seems to be a very small amount, if any, when you're just taking Kratom naturally. So, uh, you know, how's it happening? Eh, anyway. So I, that's all my viewpoint on Kratom safety. I think that overall it's okay still in my mind, but I, you know, of course I'm going to continue to monitor it. The leadership aspect, I'm there. This has energized me. And I really appreciate this journalist who did this four-part series because it's opened up my mind a lot. I do not like the fact that there is, in my mind, a bit of corruption going on. And I would like to see that changed, and I'm going to be a bit more vocal about it. I think our interests should be a lot better represented. Um, and and uh, but you know, I don't know how that how that might change or, or what that might look like. Anyway, it's on the radar. Whew. So with all that in mind, that is season four. I can't believe it. Wow. Good job, everyone. I Again, thank you so, so much for listening. I'm so happy that we've been doing this for so long. So happy we're keeping it up. Um, I started this in August 2021, so we're already in June 2022. We're two months away from a whole year of having an episode of Everything Kratom every single weekday. Wow. Even Christmas. How about that? Um, that's not saying much. I'm Jewish, but... Hey, whatever. I could have been at the movies. (laughs) Okay, everybody. I'll leave it with that ridiculous comment. And um, we'll be back tomorrow to finish off the week and to start off season five. And if you feel like it, please consider donating to this podcast. I promise I'm not corrupt. (laughs) 100% of your donation basically goes towards paying off my microphone and, um, you know, Honestly, it, it would just be greatly appreciated because it does it does take a, quite a bit of time to do this. I, I've 
done an episode every single weekday and um it's it seemed when I was starting to be easy because I'd be like, oh, I'll just record something really quick in the morning. But then it's like, well, sometimes I don't want it to be quick. Sometimes I just kind of get carried away with my thoughts. And then sometimes I have to travel for work and, you know, wow, am I going to do this at a hotel in, uh, you know, in Chicago at 6 a.m. before I have to go to a meeting at 7? So, you know, it's taken up my time, but it's nothing that I, there's nothing I would change. And even if I get no donations, I'm going to keep doing this. So no worries on that front. No pressure, but I would certainly appreciate it. Um, so if you do want to donate, there is a link to my PayPal in the description of every podcast. It should be the first link in there after any sources that I referenced in any given episode. And um, any donation would be greatly appreciated. But no worries if not. You listening is all that I need. So thanks so much. And we will be back tomorrow. All right, everybody. Take care. Bye bye.